Well, good morning, everyone. Really excited to be here. Uh, really nice to see some faces I didn't expect to see today, uh, coming back late last night to Bangor. Uh, and also, happy beginning of the holiday season. How are we feeling about that? Um, in case you aren't familiar with all the upcoming holidays, uh, it's a lot. Everyone's going to be really busy, a lot to keep track of. I put together just a helpful um, reminder here for us. If you want to take notes, uh, now would be a great time. On November 14th, this is two days away, Tuesday, we have Pickle Day. Are you familiar? You, uh, uh, I'm a dill guy myself, but if you like bread and butter, gherkins, whatever, I hope you have a great Pickle Day on Tuesday. On December 5th, um, and this is real from one weird website I found on the internet, uh, International Ninja Day. So for the, all the ninjas in your life, I hear like nunchucks, throwing stars, uh, they're hard to track down, but if you uh, want to get them something, make sure you take care of the ninjas in your life. And then, the kind of the day that we're really all looking forward to, uh, the big one, December 30th, we'll be celebrating National Bacon Day. That's, yeah, yeah, that's right. Can I get an amen? So however you like to celebrate, bacon cheeseburger, bacon and eggs, Kevin Bacon, BLTs, it's, it's going to be a great day. Thank you. Um, okay. I just like to start off and make it as weird as possible. So uh, this holiday season that we're entering is uh, kind of helped steer me in the direction that I wanted to go today. Um, a couple weeks out from Thanksgiving now, believe it or not. Uh, and so today I want to talk about gratitude. And so the first reason for this topic is the calendar. It's just kind of where it falls, and it feels like a good time to talk about thankfulness and gratitude. Um, and we're going to hear a lot about that everywhere, right, and across the culture for the next couple months uh, into Thanksgiving, into Christmas. Uh, and I'm, it's great, and I'm here for all this talk about gratitude that we're going to hear kind of in the culture, uh, except for Black Friday when we kind of forget how thankful we are and we go, like, got to buy everything that's on sale. Um, but my hope for today is to give us some things to kind of carry with us through this season uh, to take our gratitude to a deeper and kind of more fruitful place uh, that goes beyond just a few minutes uh, before we eat turkey on, on a couple Thursdays from now. Uh, the second and kind of more important reason that I chose to talk about this today is that gratitude has really been the main lifeline and anchor for me uh, in this season of life when I've just, it's been a lot, it's been busy. I don't, you're busy too. I'm not any different than you. Uh, but I've been a guy who for the most part kind of knows what I want to do next and kind of have a clear plan. And more than probably ever in my adult life this last season, been kind of uh, figuring that out and not sure what I'm doing next. And that can sometimes be an overwhelming feeling. Um, and gratitude has been this thing that kind of comes back, uh, helps bring me back when I can practice gratitude. And, and some of the things I'm going to share with you today, um, honestly, just putting this talk together has been, I'm already kind of noticing it in myself. Uh, and so I'm really excited to share some of this with you today. Um, Today, as we, as we talk about this, I want to talk about a couple things um, to avoid in how we practice gratitude, if we're not careful, and then a couple invitations that are kind of waiting for us in gratitude that we may not have noticed before. So kind of my hope for today is to upgrade our attitude, if you will, and so today we're calling this uh, talk Next Level Gratitude. Our uh, main scripture references for the day are a couple lines from two of the Apostle Paul's letters. Uh, Paul, it seems, had an ability to do something that, that you and I both want to be able to do, whether we're fully aware of it or not. Paul, Paul clearly has this uh, supernatural, supernatural ability to be thankful in all circumstances. 
Um, I can't even stay most days. I can't even stay thankful for my incredible life when my Wi-Fi goes down or I have like a little hangnail, right? But Paul, a man who, was faced, who faced incredible hardships, uh, violent beatings, imprisonment, and a constant threat of being killed, he had access to an ability to remain thankful uh, regardless of the circumstances that he found himself in. So let's look first at Paul's letter uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, the second half of this chapter is full of all this challenging wisdom. Sometimes at the end of these letters, especially, Paul's writing to these churches, it just gets really dense with all this great wisdom as he's kind of laying out how he wants this church to live out their faith. So going to uh, chapter 5, he says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Rejoice always, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. I just love these like really dense passages of Scripture where some places in the Bible, you can have to do a lot of reading to get to any practical takeaway, any point. Uh, many of the great stories of the Old Testament are often quite long, right? And then let alone if you're trying to read something in numbers and you're just reading, this guy gave birth to this guy, gave birth to this guy, gave birth to this guy, right? Sometimes it's the Bible can be a little laborious and... and Go on. And then there are passages like this that are just incredibly dense in 16 words here, and it feels like we could just kind of sit with this and read these 16 words over and over again for the next year until we can really understand how to put this into practice. Um, in another letter, this one to the church in Philippi, Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that last line, you've, if you've been around church at all, or even just walked through Hobby Lobby, you've probably seen <laughs> that phrase, right? Um, but I can do all things through Christ doesn't mean, I think we all know this, right? We all know that it doesn't mean you can actually do anything you want to do at all, and God will help you do it. Um, my days of, my chances to play, like in the NHL, have come and gone, right? We all have these big dreams that um, it's not God's fault that I, that they didn't come to fruition, right? Um, when Paul says this, that I've learned the secret to being content in all circumstances, it appears that he just kind of leaves this hanging and doesn't tell you the secret. I can, um, He's almost teasing us, but at the end of this passage, it's, it's, it's there. Paul's secret to being content in all circumstances, it seems, is that Christ gives him the strength to do so. So we'll come back to these verses as we, as we go on. Uh, if I were to open up the floor to you all, and I'm not going to do that um, because I don't trust you guys not to derail me, but if I were to go around the room and ask for just one-word answers to what you are thankful for, here are some of the things, I'm just guessing here, some of the things I think I'd hear. I think you would say you are family, uh, grateful for your family, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your job, your financial stability, maybe a good uh, report at the doctor, our country, a home, a roof over your head. These are all great things to be thankful for, and I want you to keep this list and whatever might have come to mind for you uh, in your mind as we, as we go on and we'll come back to it. Those are kind of the greatest hits of our Thanksgiving tables of what we're, we're grateful for. So keep that in your mind. 
Growing up in a good Christian home like I did, every Christmas we would watch uh, Jesus' favorite Christmas movie, which is, of course, A Christmas Story. <laughs> we would all... <laughs> You're like, Pastor Bob and Barb would watch Christmas Story? Oh, yeah, every year. Every year. In this uh, one uh, well-known scene, um, the, the family is sitting down to dinner to eat, and little Randy uh, does not want to eat his meatloaf. Do you remember this scene? Anyone familiar? Any other big Christmas story fans out here? Okay. Um, I believe Randy says, meatloaf, meatloaf, I hate meatloaf, right? And uh, mom is trying so hard to get him to eat his meatloaf and his mashed potatoes. Uh, if you remember at the end of the scene, he, she kind of gets him to eat like a piggy, and he, it's disgusting. You remember that? So she says something in this, and I think it's in the movie in part because it's really stereotypical of, of this generation that's portrayed in the movie, but I think kind of every parent probably says some version of this at some point. Uh, she can't get him to eat his meatloaf and potatoes, and she says, eat your meatloaf and potatoes because starving people would be happy to have that. And this guilt-ridden version of a sort of forced gratitude, a sense that you should be grateful for the meatloaf, even though you hate meatloaf's meatloaf, because some people somewhere, somewhere else, would apparently be happy to have the meatloaf. And I get the heart behind that, but this uh, version of gratitude is what today I'm calling simple gratitude. So I already told you that today that my title is uh, kind of where we're headed is next level gratitude. So implicit in that is a previous level, a starting place. And that starting place is what I'm calling simple gratitude. So simple gratitude is not bad. It's kind of w what most of us do around the Thanksgiving table. If you've ever wrote n written on a little, you know, uh, leaf what you're thankful for or wrote, all, everyone goes around and shares what they're thankful for. A lot of times, um, I think it's a, a great exercise, there's nothing wrong with it, but it kind of stays at the simple gratitude. And the simple gratitude is not bad, but it does have some potential pitfalls hidden within it that we're going to talk about. So one defining trait of this type of gratitude is that simple gratitude is relative. Remember that list that you thought of from a moment ago? We're grateful for these things that we say we're grateful for most of the time because we know that not everyone has them. Or even maybe at one point previously in our life, we didn't have them. So we're grateful for our family because we know that not everyone has a family. We're grateful for our house because it's really hard to buy a house right now, and maybe you just got in a new one. We're grateful for the country we live in because we know a lot of places around the world would be a much, much different life to live. So that's simple gratitude. It's relative. Simple gratitude says, I'm grateful I have this good thing because I know that not everyone does. And this type of gratitude has a place, and I think it's worth, worth pausing uh, to be grateful for what we have that others don't. But it does also bring up some questions if you really sit with it. Questions like, what are we supposed to do with the fact that we are grateful for the family we have when our friend or our coworker or our neighbor or our family member lives alone or with an abusive partner or just went through a divorce or recently lost someone in their family? What do we do with these realities of Violence and homelessness and loneliness. A question that comes up a lot for me with gratitude is just simply, why me? What did I do to deserve this life of relative comfort and ease and love and family? Why me? And it's, it's counterintuitive at first, but if you think about it, simple gratitude that doesn't go any deeper than, wow, you know, I have a family, I have a house, and I have turkey on my Thanksgiving table. Thank you, God. A gratitude that doesn't go any deeper than that 
exposes a little bit our own self-centered tendencies, right? I think we all do this to some extent. To only focus on ourselves and the things we have that we like, the good things in our life, is, is a missed opportunity if we stay self-centered with it. So for today, I'm, for today, I'm calling this an invitation. It's a missed invitation that we, we, we rarely open. That gratitude is an invitation to compassion. Every time we are grateful, that is an invitation to consider those around us who don't have what we are grateful for. One really important note here, though, because it's going to start creeping in as we're ready. Kind of as, as soon as I turned that, you can feel it in the room a little bit. There's a feeling that creeps in, and that's guilt. But I, I want to stress today that feeling guilty isn't the point, and it isn't helpful. I get this temptation to, to simply feel guilty. I've felt this way plenty of times. My life is overwhelmingly good. Um, my life is also really hard because I'm a human being, and being a human being is hard. But relatively speaking, I kind of, I, I, I got the lottery, right? It's easy to look around at things I have that others don't and feel, why me? And feel bad about it. It somehow, it somehow can make us feel like a better person if we feel a little guilty about it, right? It's a way to deal with this cognitive dissonance, this uncomfortable feeling that we might get when we see that so many people around us don't have some of the good things that we do have. And it's easy to feel guilty that we did find someone to spend our lives with, or our doctor gave us better than expected news when it wasn't the same case for our coworker or our friend. It's easy to feel guilty. And to feel like guilty is somehow what a good person would feel, that somehow we are impressing God or being a better person if we feel guilty about the good things we, that we have been given. But I don't think God is, is asking us to feel guilty. And beyond that, feeling guilty is a bad way to say thank you for a gift, right? If you're given a, if I gave you just an over-the-top extravagant gift, and your first response was guilt, that's not really what I would be going for in my giving you of this gift, right? Instead of guilt, God might be considering us to consider why. Why have we been given what we've been given? The way I've posed it in a question for us today is, how does what I've been given equip me to serve the world? How does what I've been given equip me to serve the world? How can what we've been given be used to make the world better, to love our neighbor, to live out the work that the Spirit is trying to do through us? How do these things I'm grateful for equip me to serve? This is something to try this question to keep with you next time you're tempted to simply feel guilty. You can turn this sense of why me into a literal question. Why me? What, why have I been given this good thing? And how can the, the unique combination of this gift combined with my life circumstances equip me to serve my neighbor? I think that as we turn our gratitude outward in this way to those around us, we'll stop feeling guilty and move something closer to a true, deeper gratitude. As an example in my life, it's easy for me to feel a little guilty about having a healthy marriage when so many of my peers are already 
they're already divorced, were never able to kind of stay in a long-term relationship, or just can't seem to find the right one to spend their life with in this way for whatever reason. And a couple uh, seemingly competing things are true here. Aaron and I both put a lot of effort into ourselves uh, before we met to become relatively healthy people in a good place. That when we, when we did meet each other uh, in this very room, that we were um, ready and we were in a good place to start. And we also continue to put in the hard work of self-sacrifice and um, communication and all the things that go into a, a, a marriage. We continue to do the work, but also we feel incredibly lucky and or blessed or fortunate or whatever term you want to throw in here. But here's the thing about a f- feeling guilty is guilt is a dead-end feeling. Guilt is a dead-end feeling. It doesn't, it doesn't lead anywhere. Feeling guilty just kind of sits there might make you feel a little gross, ruin that good feeling you had when you sit around your table for Thanksgiving with your family. It doesn't help to feel guilty. And um, when it comes to feeling guilty about gifts you've been given, feeling guilty doesn't lead to anywhere productive. But gratitude, gratitude has the potential to take you to all sorts of positive places. So I don't think God is asking us to sit around feeling guilty about any gifts we've been given. God is not the 50s mother at the table saying, eat your meatloaf because starving people will be happy to have that. Guilt is a dead-end feeling, and it doesn't impress God when we feel guilty about what we've been given. So we we avoid feeling guilty, and instead we ask, how does what I've been given equip me to serve others? And then I like to remember this just general biblical concept that we are often blessed so that we can bless others. There are, I think, many good things in life that are simply in our lives because God is good and God made a good world and God wants good things for us. And so there's sunsets and there's jumping in Echo Lake on a hot summer day and there's golden retriever puppies and all these just senselessly beautiful things, right? And these things are here as gifts and as signposts back to God's goodness. And we're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. But as far as the big elements of our lives that we would typically say we're thankful for around the Thanksgiving table, I think in most cases, uh, this biblical principle applies, that we are often blessed so that we can bless others. A couple examples from Scripture. Um, In the origin story of Israel throughout the book of Genesis, God speaks to Abraham of the promise to bless Abraham and his descendants. And he says, through him all nations will be blessed. And this, this refrain, you can find this for starters in Genesis 12 and then Genesis 22. But this, is, um, this refrain is, because it's really the core concept of the whole Judeo-Christian story, that God is blessing Abraham and his descendants that become the nation of Israel, not because he just likes them more, but because he is using them to bless the rest of the world. And this is a, you can explore this even further, but Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 are a good place for starters. It's also kind of just a general concept in play throughout the Old Testament, especially with, as God is choosing prophets and leaders uh, for the nation of Israel. God doesn't choose kings and leaders based on which one of them won some sort of God's version of The Bachelor or American Idol, right? Just kind of winning, a, a, picking a favorite. 
when, when there are lots of, of bad kings and bad leaders in the story of Israel, but the good ones, God chooses because of their posture of their heart. Remember David and the man after God's own heart. And he uses, he, as David as an example, he chooses not because David is his favorite, but because David's posture is one that he can use to bless others. So David does get the castle and, or I don't know, it wasn't a castle, but he gets to live in a fancy place. I don't know how it worked back then, the temple. Um, and he has all this power and all this prestige, and he does misuse it at times. It's a, a vital part of David's story. But for the most part, David is chosen because he's given all this power and all this prestige to lead well and to bless the world around him. Jesus also tells a well-known uh, parable in Matthew um, 25 about three servants. And I've never heard this parable connected to this idea of gratitude quite like this, uh, but it jumped out to me and stuck in my mind as I was prepping this, and I just want to share this with you. So you can read the whole story word for word in Matthew chapter 25, but I'll just give you the cliff notes. Uh, so there are three servants whose master is going away on a long trip. To one servant, the master leaves five bags of gold. To another, he leaves two bags and to a third, he leaves one. The first two invest what they were uh, entrusted with and doubled the amount. To these servants who took the risk and invested their money, the master says these beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what we're after, right? The third servant, though, said he was scared, and rather than invest the one bag of gold he was given, he goes and he buries the gold in the backyard. When, when the master returns, the servant digs up the same bag out of the dirt and hands it back to him, just the one same bag of now dirty gold. The servant is thrown out because of his laziness and lack of courage to invest what he'd been entrusted with. And, and as a byproduct, the servant misses out on the joy that was promised to the first two faithful servants. So as with all of Jesus' parables, there's always different angles to come at it, but one of the main things I think this story is asking us is what have you been given and how will you invest it? As I said before, my life is hard because life is hard and being a human is hard, but my life is also wonderful and relatively speaking, I've been given so, so much. If there's a downside uh, that I've experienced, and I know I can kind of speak for some of my other family members as well here, um, so it's a dangerous thing to say. I shouldn't ever say that. Uh, but I'm well aware that I'm the five bags of gold guy, right? I've been given a whole lot. And I'm, I'm hard on myself because of this sometimes. I set big goals and have big expectations and high standards because I don't want to bury my five bags of gold in the ground or otherwise waste it away. I want to do something with what I've been given. And I think at the heart of this story, that's what Jesus is asking us. What are you going to do with what you've been given? Jesus is asking us to look at our lives, closely examine our lives, and see what we've been given. And maybe you look at your life and it feels like five bags of gold, or maybe it feels like five bags of smelly, empty bottles that you have to bring to the recycling center just to get a few bucks back. But whatever it feels like, whatever it feels like you've been given, whether a little or a lot, we've all been entrusted with something. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to invest what we've been given? Our marriages, our families, our finances, our education, our skill set, 
our painful life experience that now sets us up to help others. Our unique giftings, our connections, our bags of gold. Take a moment, be grateful, and then ask, how can this equip me to serve my neighbor? So gratitude is an invitation to compassion. Within gratitude, there is a second invitation I want to talk about. I think gratitude is also an invitation to learn the character of God. When we look back at our opening passages where Paul has the audacity to tell us to be thankful in all circumstances, this type of gratitude Paul's talking about and challenging us to is grounded, it has to be, grounded in something way deeper than simple relative gratitude. This type of unshakable gratitude Paul talks about it can't be based on some temporary gift we are lucky enough to receive. It must be grounded in a deep knowledge and connection to God and, and God's goodness that, go, that goes beyond this simple surface-level gratitude. And in, in, uh, in the first passage we look at, Paul has this line that he says, uh, he says, pray constantly. And this is a whole additional big conversation. Uh, but for today's purposes, I think it's worth pointing out that Paul can't be talking here strictly about a, a non-stop conversation that starts with dear Jesus and ends with amen, like many of us tend to think of as a prayer, right? This constant prayer that he's talking about must be something deeper, closer to a way of being and living in the world, a way of living with a constant contact and communion with Christ. Maybe something closer to what Jesus is talking about in John when he talks about the vine and the branches, this deep connectedness to God and who God is. The next level of gratitude that we're kind of going after today has to go beyond simply a relative gratitude that is thankful for something I have that others don't. And we have to move into something deeper, into a gratitude that is anchored in the unchanging, constant character of who God is. If my, anchor, if my gratitude is anchored only in the good things I have in my life, what happens when those things go away? <clears throat> what happens when sometimes something so bad or painful happens that it clouds all ability to see the good? What happens when I have a good life, but my neighbor's life looks better, and I'd rather have their job, their wife, their kids, their house, their reputation? To move into this next level of gratitude, this joy, this peace, this contentment, like Paul is talking about, we have to be anchored into something deeper, anchored into something that's unchanging. To live with an awareness of God's goodness that goes beyond mere abstract ideas on a Sunday morning and into a lived-out, embodied awareness of God's goodness that we're able to keep with us at all times, regardless of circumstances, Paul says. In a lot of sermons, uh, right, right around here, we could maybe go start to go to an abstract theological place to make the point that, you know, we just need to be grateful to God because of all the good things God has done for us. And there's a place, of course, for gratitude that focuses on like big theological ideas like redemption and salvation. Uh, the first song we're going to sing when we come back in a few minutes uh, is called The Reason I Sing, and it's a good example of this. But for now, rather than go to kind of big, heady, abstract concepts, I want to just kind of stay grounded in the tangible day-to-day -day life. You know, Jesus, in his teachings, constantly, 
is grounding his huge, mind-blowing, abstract ideas in the tangible, right? A mustard seed, a loaf of bread, a shepherd, a buried treasure, a father waiting for his son to come home. On and on, Jesus is always grounding his big ideas in the tangible. As much as I'm obviously a proponent of both, I hope it's obvious, of both reading scripture and being part of a church community like this one, I think if we, if we, miss, we miss out if we limit our attempts strictly to finding God to the times where we're literally reading the Bible or at church or saying a quick prayer, quick prayer before we fall asleep, right? We're missing a lot of opportunities. When Paul wedges the call to pray continually, he wedges it right in between be joyful always and give thanks in all circumstances. I think it's pretty clearly intended to be all one thought. This continual prayer as a way of being in the world must be the how behind how Paul is able to be content and joyful in all circumstances. If praying continually is more about an awareness and a posture of our internal world than a strictly an ongoing conversation, though it, it could sometimes include that for sure. If it's more about a way of being and living, here are a couple steps to start, start practicing this type of gratitude. So I've got three words for us to think about here. First is the word slow. It is hard to be grateful in a hurry. Gratitude only grows, I think, at a slow, unhurried pace. It's hard to be grateful in a hurry. One of my favorite musicians is a singer-songwriter uh, named John Mark McMillan. He wrote the worship song, uh, How He Loves, which was really big a little over a decade ago. There is a line on his new album that I keep thinking about. Um, the lyric is this, Would you know a miracle if you were in it? Would you resent it? with a body full of spirit and stardust in your blood. Would you know a miracle if you were in it? Would you even resent it? Most of the time, I think we're simply too busy to notice the miraculous all around us. And I'm not talking about walking on water here or, or, or the dead coming back to life. I'm talking about the simple, everyday miracles, right? A friendship of a small, selfless act a walk in the woods, a good cup of coffee, a warm bed on a cold night, the feeling in your chest as we sing these songs together on a Sunday. Small things all around us permeating our lives with goodness upon goodness upon goodness. And sometimes amidst, amidst all the hurry, we not only miss the good things, but we can actually resent them, as, as the song says. We can resent our kids from keeping us from getting work done or sucking the last drops of patience and energy from us. You hear that in there? You hear that in my voice? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We can resent our middle-class American life. It's not as extravagant or as easy as we'd like. We can resent our family we have to spend Thanksgiving with because they're just sometimes annoying. That's family. The miracles, though, the goodness woven into the fabric of our lives is right there. If only we can slow down enough to see it. You know, Christians, church people... Church people love to talk about how bad the world is. And I think a lot of Christians' Bibles might be missing the first two chapters. So a lot of church people, if you're not a church person, you can, don't feel bad. I'm only talking to the church people that I'm mad at right now. Um, the, <laughs> 
most church people start with Genesis 3. So this is where the, the disease, the sickness of sin enters the picture. But maybe our churches would be more appealing, and maybe Christians would be more joyful people. If we could remember that the story doesn't start in Genesis 3, it starts with it is good, it is good, it is very good. So the world is broken, and all is not as it should be. I don't need to tell you that. I don't need to tell you about the news. I don't need to tell you about the hard things in your life. You know that. You know the world's not as it should be, as it could be. But if God is ultimate goodness, and if God is ultimate goodness and is also the creator, the sustainer, and the ultimate endpoint of all things, as Paul said, that in which we live and move and have our being, if that in which we live and move and have our being is also ultimate goodness, then though the world is broken and sick and not right, life must also be filled to the brim with goodness and grace and beauty because that's the kind of creator God is. So first, we slow down. We slow. Our second word is savor. Who doesn't like alliteration? A neuroscientist named Dr. Rick Hansen developed a theory called the Velcro-Teflon theory. Uh, His research shows that our brains are wired with a negativity bias and that negative experiences and thoughts stick with us with like Velcro. Negative thoughts and experiences stick with us like Velcro instantly. But positive experiences almost always tend to slide off of us like Teflon. I had to look up what Teflon was. I'm going to be honest. It's like if you picture a nonstick pan, now you know. Um, I couldn't pretend in good faith like I knew what it was. I had to make sure I knew. I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Um, Just there to eat. People, uh, People will come up to me today, probably, maybe at least one, maybe, will come up and compliment me today after this. And that good feeling will last approximately 12 seconds. Okay? But this one time I was in middle school, and I went to a friend's birthday party. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. And uh, I, uh, there was a bounce house at this middle school birthday party. And not once, but twice in this bounce house, my basketball shorts fell down. <laughs> and I think about that about once a week. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so you have these versions of this, right? The compliments go right over your head. The good experiences, there and it's gone. But that awkward interaction you had at work three months ago is still somewhere in there, bouncing around. So Hansen's research, for what it's worth, uh, suggests that negative experiences stick to us instantly, but that we actually need to sit with a positive experience for around 15 seconds before it really sinks in. And so there's, there is data and research to back this up, but I don't think we really, this is one of those studies where you're like, yeah, I get it, I believe that. You don't really need to look at the data. The negative sticks to us immediately and stays with us for a long time. The positive, if we're not intentional, slides right off. And so a solution for this is to, as I'm saying today, savor, to sit in a feeling of gratitude and thankfulness long enough that it actually sinks in. Do you ever stop and really taste good food? 
or a good glass of wine or really listen to some music intently, really look into the eyes of the person, you're, the friend you're talking with. So often when I say, oh, I enjoyed that meal or I enjoyed that conversation or that experience, I did enjoy it, but I wouldn't say I savored it. I moved on quickly. I was distracted. During it, I was still thinking about something else in the future or something in the past, like that time my pants fell off in the bounce house, <laughs> while it was going on, right? So what if the next time you experience something good or beautiful, you slowed down and savored it for 15 seconds? There's language... Um, throughout the Psalms about meditating on God and the way of God day and night, of keeping the Lord always in your heart, always in your mind, even while you sleep, some of the Psalms say. There's language about considering the works the Lord has made, nature, the skies, the oceans, the vast starry expanse. All this language along these lines in the Psalms and elsewhere in Scripture. It's, it's clearly going beyond a surface level of an experience and digging deeper into to really experience it, to be truly present and open and intentional with it. When we slow down and, and really savor all the good things in our lives, we're actually rewiring our brains and reorienting, reorienting our spirits towards joy and peace and happiness. So first we slow, then savor, and finally seek. Jesus said, seek and you will find Ask, and it will be given to you. Here's a question you can use. God, thank you for this gift. Where are you in it? Where are you in this gift I've been given? We have to slow down enough to notice the gift. Then we thank God for it. We savor the goodness of that gift. And then from there, we can dig a notch deeper and look for God in that experience. This, of course, applies to those huge life-changing gifts like marriage or kids and big career moments, these big things that happen. But uh, I'm really talking about the everyday, the mundane here. When you slow down and learn to savor the trees turning colors all over the yard, you can ask this question. After tucking your kids into bed, after a conversation with an old friend, after an answer to prayer, after getting some good news, God, first, thank you. And now show me where you are in this. What can I learn about God from this? How can I keep this with me? How can the joy and the peace and the sense of God's presence that bubbles up from this good thing, how can I keep that with me? Where is God in this gift that I've been given? To wrap things up, um, I've got some reflection questions up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to play a song by one of my favorite artists, a guy named Ben Rector. I really love this song called Thank You. It's a song that brings up a lot of gratitude in me every time I hear it. As we close, I'm going to sit, I'm going to ask us to just sit and consider these questions and let whatever feelings of gratitude come to the surface for you come to the surface and let God use that to, to change us in some way here today. So my hope is that as we go into this holiday season and hear a lot of talk about thankfulness and gratitude, I hope you'll keep some of this in mind to avoid feeling guilty about the good things we've been given and instead take the invitation to compassion and allow that compassion to lead to compassionate action in the world around us. And then from there, my hope 
for you, for me, for us, is that we slow down, savor the good things, and look for God in the everyday mundane goodness of life. So thank you so much for your attention. Um, Let's just sit and reflect and be grateful for a moment here together. Thanks for the sunrise. Thanks for the night sky. Thanks for the deepest blue in my daughter's eyes. Thanks for the weekend, thanks for a good friend, thanks for in the high life again, makes me feel alive. It's been too long since we sat down and talked this way, but life is hard, sometimes I don't know what to say, but thank you. Maybe I just miss having things all figured out Cause now I got doubts and I got these questions Things I just don't understand But I bet you'll sort it out It's been too long since we sat down and talked this way Life is hard, sometimes I don't know what to say Thank you.